Well, it's camp season, and so singing a camp song seems fitting, doesn't it? Who here remembers singing that song at, at camp? Anyone? Or in Sunday school class? That was one of our, our favorites in, in uh, singing class. So maybe we'll reboot that one when singing class starts up again in the fall. It's one of my, one of my favorites. And something actually that we're going to be looking at this morning is the truth that we sing in that song. So would you bow with me once more? Father in heaven, thank you that you are the rock. You are the firm foundation upon which we can build our lives. And so we pray, Lord, that as we look at this teaching and as we look at what it means and the difference between building our lives on a firm foundation or on shifting sand, I pray that you will speak through me, that by your spirit you will bring um, conviction or clarity in our lives in areas where we are not building on the firm foundation and that we can turn from that and build only on you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word and through me, your servant, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we just sang this uh, children's song, it's it's one of my favorites. And it's, of course, based on Jesus' parable of the wise and the foolish builder. So turn with me again to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. And as you turn there, I'll give you just a little bit of context. This parable comes at the conclusion of Jesus' most famous teaching session, which is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. So beginning back in Matthew chapter 5 and then stretching through to the end of chapter 7, it is the single most comprehensive teaching of our Lord, covering almost every possible topic that you can think of. Then after having gone through this lengthy sermon and teaching session, Jesus wraps up the entire thing with this exclamation point to add emphasis to everything that he has just said. Some people will take this final parable to say, well, it's just about what he talked about immediately beforehand, but no, he's talking about the entire teaching session. All of the words that come out of my mouth, he wraps up with this. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine referring to everything he has just said, these words, and I would add that we could say this about all of Jesus' words, all of his teaching through anywhere in the gospel, this applies. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So here we meet two builders. Two builders who both construct similar houses, but with very different end results. Now, it's helpful for us to remember that Jesus was a carpenter by trade. In fact, he spent the majority of his life in this trade far more than he spent in the three years of ministry. He spent the previous, you know, almost three decades of his life in the trade of carpentry. He was a man who knew what physical work and labor was all about, and more than that, he knew about construction. He knew about building houses. He knew about wood, brick, mortar, stone, and everything else that went into building a house. And so drawing upon this practical experience, Jesus highlighted the critical importance of what type of foundation the house is built upon. Of course, this is applied directly to our lives. 
And not only our individual lives, but also the lives of our families, our church, our town, our nation, and yes, even our entire Western civilization. The foundation matters. And the first thing I'd like to draw to your attention is this. The firm foundation is, of course, built on the rock. And this is the wise person, the one who hears Jesus' words, believes them to be true, and actually puts them into practice. The second person, the unstable foundation, is built on the sand. This is the fool. This is the person who hears Jesus' words, but does not believe them to be true. Or perhaps they say they believe them to be true, but they are not truly persuaded because the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Their actions do not reflect what they are professing. And so if they do not put the words, the teachings, into practice, they are the fool. Instead of building their life upon the unshakable, unchangeable, inerrant, infallible word of God, they instead build their lives upon the malleable, shifting, unstable, quicksand of man's ever-changing opinion. Now one challenge in discerning the difference between the two, the wise and the fool, of course we would immediately think, well, it's easy to tell the difference between the wise man and the foolish man, the wise builder and the one who is not so wise, But it's not always so easy to discern right out of the gate. The reason being, at first glance, both the wise and foolish builders' houses can look exactly the same from the ground up. Identical, in fact. Perhaps even the fool spent a little bit more time on the exterior and the paint just really jumps out and everything's just tied together neatly and you'd say, which one built the better house? And you might even point to the fool's house and say, that one looks better than the other man's. It's not so easy to tell from the ground up. And so long as the weather stays nice and sunny, so long as there's peace and prosperity and good health prevailing, no one will ever be the wiser as to which one was the fool and which one was wise. But when the storm clouds inevitably gather, when the winds howl, the rains pound and the flood waters rise, when peace turns to adversity... Prosperity to desperate need and good health to infirmity. That is when the true foundation of one's life is put to the test and ultimately revealed. For quite simply, either they are still standing after the storm or they have come crashing down. And this truth applies for people and even for entire civilizations. The foundation makes all the difference. In the year 1174, the Italian architect by the name of Bonanno Pisano began working on what would become his most famous project, a 185-foot-tall freestanding bell tower for the city of Pisa. There was just one little problem with his design. The builders quickly discovered that the soil upon which he was constructing this tower was much softer than they had anticipated. Now, of some significance... The word Pisa actually directly translated means marshy land. So maybe they should have thought about what Pisa meant before they started building there. But what compounded the first oversight was an even further one, that they constructed the foundation for a 185-foot-tall tower. They only dug it 10 feet down into the ground, far too shallow to adequately hold that structure even if the soil had been good, and so it only compounded the error on this soft soil. 
But having already begun, they decided, well, we've come this far, let's continue on. And sure enough, as they began to build this tower higher and higher and more weight was added, before long, the whole structure began to not only sink into the ground, but it began to sink unevenly, and it began to tilt. And it continued to tilt until finally the architect and builders realized that nothing could be done to make this leaning tower of Pisa straight again. It took a remarkable span of 199 years to finally complete the tower. And during that time, many attempts were made to try to compensate for the tilt, trying to shore it up, trying to straighten it up. They did all sorts of things. The upper levels were even built at an angle to try to make the top of the tower look straight, an optical illusion of sorts. But nothing worked. And today, the top of the tower is some 13 feet off of center. And despite renewed efforts in recent years to keep the tower upright, someday the leaning tower of Pisa will inevitably come crashing to the ground. All because it was not built on a firm foundation. In a striking parallel, our Western civilization is much like the leaning tower of Pisa. As it actively continues to undermine the firm foundation of God's word. God's wisdom, and God's ways, and replaces it with the ever-shifting and unstable foundation of man's opinions, man's wisdom, and man's ways. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, it talks about these sorts of people. It says, Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth take a stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let's break their bonds apart. And cast their cords from us. A current example of this hostile attitude towards God and his ways is happening right here in Canada. One of them is the recent legalization of doctor-assisted suicide or medically-assisted dying, as it has been renamed, trying to soften it by by removing the term suicide from the title. This, of course is in direct opposition to a biblically-based Christian worldview that maintains all human life created by God in his image, in his likeness, with the breath of life breathed into him by God himself, that life is precious, and therefore should be protected and cared for from conception to natural death. So following after these beliefs, the St. Boniface Hospital in Winnipeg, which is a Catholic faith-based institution, They have rejected the court's mandate. They are refusing to perform doctor-assisted suicides in their hospital. However, if a patient in their care does request this service, they would still honor that request by transferring them to another hospital that agrees to do it. But for many, this isn't good enough. Just a few days ago, I heard an interview on CBC Radio. The interview was with someone actively fighting against the hospital's decision who said, quote, Even though St. Boniface was granted autonomy by the government to set their own policies according to their faith, in this day and age, Manitobans' values have evolved to where the hospital should adjust to fit with the times. Think about that. In case you didn't quite the full implication of his statement, What the man is saying is that Christians should adjust their beliefs and practices according to the shifts of culture rather than according to the word of God. 
Further to that, not only is he saying that Christians should do that, he is inferring that if they don't comply willingly, they should be made to comply by force. And to that end, he is mounting a legal challenge against the hospital's administration to force them to perform doctor-assisted suicides. And of course, CBC Radio, in a not-so-subtle nod in this man's direction, did not even bother to have an interview with someone with a counter-viewpoint from the hospital administration. Whatever happened to fair and balanced objective reporting, I'm not sure about that. Make no mistake about it, this is just one of many examples of how our Western civilization, our culture, is steadily opposing God and his ways by exerting pressure on not only Christian institutions, but individual Christians to either comply to their views willingly or by force. In the realm of science, we are told, the creator God does not exist, it was evolution. In the realm of marriage and sexuality, we're told Sex outside of marriage is fine, and the LGBTQ lifestyles are to be celebrated. In the realm of sanctity of human life, we are told killing babies before birth is simply a woman's choice, and that doctor-assisted suicide is simply allowing people to die with dignity on their own terms. In the area of freedom of religion, we are told that speaking God's truth in the public forum on these matters is hate speech. And in case you haven't noticed, the pressure is only increasing. It's not going down, it's ratcheting up. The storm clouds are gathering. The wind is picking picking up. The floodwaters are rising. It's not a matter of if, in Jesus' parable, the clouds come, the storms come. It was just a matter of when. So let me ask you, how strong is your foundation? How strong is this church's foundation? Will you and I, will we stand firm on God's word... Or will we get swept away in the flood of man's ever-changing opinions? And as they ratchet up the pressure on us to comply, either willingly or by force, will we stand firm, or will we too be washed away in the torrent? As believers, followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who seek to base our lives and actions upon the unchanging authority of God's words and the teachings of Christ, let me ask, what do we do in response What do we do when the pressure around us increases? Well, Jesus' answer is clear. We must build our foundation wisely. I want to give you three steps this morning according to Jesus' parable. Simple steps, but I hope that they make sense in your mind and you can apply them in your lives accordingly. The first step is this. Make certain you are building on the rock. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9-11. to For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. That's the metaphor we are going to continue in. God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now I want to highlight a few things here for you. Pardon me. Paul is echoing very uh, deliberately, the words of Jesus in this parable. Notice Paul says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. What did Jesus say? The wise man builds his house, where? Upon the rock. And who is the rock foundation? Of course, none other 
than Jesus Christ himself. So let me ask you, are you building your life and your actions upon the rock? Are you building them upon the unshakable truths of Jesus' teaching and his words? Or are you basing it upon what you think, or maybe what other people think and their opinions? Are you building on Jesus? Building the frame of the house with church activity and putting on the roof of good deeds is alone not enough if underneath is a foundation of sand. The wise builder must begin by humbling himself at the cross of Calvary, confessing his sins, asking for God's forgiveness, and entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and his word. He alone is the rock. He alone is the chief cornerstone of our salvation. And so the wise builder builds with care upon this foundation and this foundation alone. That is step one. Step two, we must dig deep into the word of God. In the parallel account to this parable in Luke chapter 4, verse 68, Jesus says this. It's slightly different. It's, it's very much the same, but you'll notice the difference. Jesus said, He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrents burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So here Jesus says that in order to lay the foundation correctly, we must dig deep. Remember the the leaning tower of Pisa. Its foundation was only 10 feet deep. It wasn't deep enough. So let me ask, why did the foolish builder, why did he build his house upon the sand? Why would he have even done that? Well, for starters, it's a lot easier. There's no digging required. You just build it right there on the sand. And for that reason, it would also be a lot cheaper. But let me just say, if you are looking for an easy, minimum effort approach to establishing the foundation of your life and the lives of your family, then Jesus calls you a foolish builder. You are not building wisely, you are building foolishly, and he says that in the end, you are the author of your own destruction. Because if you are not laying the foundation correctly, when the storms inevitably come, the quality of your foundation will be revealed. And if it washes away, he says, you have no one to blame but yourself. You are the builder of you and your family's foundation. Too many Christians today are simply content to put in the absolute minimum effort when it comes to laying that foundation. They show up to church on a Sunday morning with about the same frequency that they go to the movie theater. Just to get a little taste of the word of God. Maybe a little bit on the tip of their tongue, but they are not digging deep into God's word. It has no place in their daily lives, their work, their habits, or their relationships. And as a result, their faith is shallow, and they are unprepared for the storms that will inevitably come. Make no mistake about it, digging a deep foundation upon the rock takes deliberate, determined, and dedicated effort over the span of many years. It doesn't happen overnight, and there are no shortcuts. Western Christianity today has a huge problem. And that problem is we are always looking for quick and easy solutions to our problems. We're always looking for that quick fix that, well, my kid's gone off the rails. What's the quick fix? Well, we can't fix it overnight if there was no foundation properly laid over the years. There is no quick fix. There's no easy solutions. It takes determined, dedicated, deliberate time and effort. 
to develop a life that will stand firm in the storms that come. I read recently about how shipbuilders back in the days of the tall sailing ships, they would prepare the masts of their ships with a very deliberate set of steps. The first is they would go to the forest and they would find an appropriate tree, one that was tall enough, thick enough, strong enough, straight enough for their purposes. They would then clear out all of the surrounding trees around around that one single tree and they would leave that one tree standing alone and exposed to the wind, the elements, and the storms, all alone. The result was that over the coming years, as the tree matured, its roots would go deeper to anchor itself better against the wind that it was now exposed to. The wood itself would grow denser and stronger. And so by the time the shipbuilders came to cut it down for using it as a mast, it had the kind of strength it would need to be able to stand up in the great storms that they would encounter on the high seas, all while carrying the burden of massive sails and rigging. But that tree would have never gained that strength if it was just left amongst the other trees. It developed that strength because it had to stand alone against the wind and send its roots deeper in order to grow stronger. So too, when we are tested and dig deeper into the solid rock of Jesus and his words, when the storms come, we will not only survive, but we will gain strength to ride them out. Even while we see others crashing down around us, your house, your life will remain firm, because it has a deep enough foundation. That is step two. And step three is simple. We must hear and we must heed the word of God. Jesus said that we must hear and then act upon the word of God. If we hear the word of God and do not heed it, according to James, we deceive ourselves. So let me ask, why do people cave in? Well, the collapse comes because they have nothing to stand on. They are all house and no foundation. They have not made actually obeying God's word the basis of their lives. Do you want to know what the hardest part of being a pastor is? At least for me, the hardest part of being a pastor. It's not what you think. It's not the funerals. It's not the, it's not the phone calls in the middle of the night. It's, it's not the busyness or the schedule or, or things like that. The hardest part for me as a pastor is seeing followers of Jesus Christ fall away from the faith. It simply breaks my heart when people I've taught the word of God to, discipled, even baptized, who can't withstand the storms. And whatever those storms may be, whatever form they come in, whether temptations, trials, doubts, death, illness, whatever it is, being left standing alone and they don't have that peer group to lean on anymore, their foundation doesn't hold and they are washed away. It breaks my heart. But I find comfort in knowing that Jesus dealt with this heartache as well, even with his own disciples. And I want to give you a comparison between two of Jesus' disciples who both had storms come their way, and that is Peter and Judas. Outwardly, these two men looked the same. They were both following Jesus, one of his twelve, and they both went through gut-wrenching, soul-testing storms. When the storm hit Judas, it was filled with Envy, greed, self-importance, and finally betrayal. He thought he was in control, but it was actually Satan 
that he had given control over to, who then used and discarded him like nothing, crashing upon the rocks. And Judas was left there broken in his remorse and his guilt, having betrayed his master, and finally seeing no other way out, he finishes his own destruction by suicide at the end of a rope. Then there was the storm that hit Peter. Jesus had said to Peter, just before the storm struck, with all of hell's fury, he said this to him, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Then the night of Jesus' betrayal happened. The storm struck. Peter boldly declared that he would never deny Jesus. He would rather die with him than deny him. But within hours, a mere servant girl had elicited not one, not two, but three denials that Peter had ever known the man. And of course, the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked at Peter. And Peter went out and wept bitterly, knowing he had done the the very thing he swore he would never do. Peter's world was coming apart. He entered the vortex of Satan's fury in an attempt to sift the very soul from him. The floods of doubt came. The winds of worry blew. Peter's house was shaking in the storm. The shingles were flying off. The shutters were flapping in the wind. Yet Peter's house did not wash away. Peter did not go out and hang himself as Judas did. Why? Because it was built upon the rock. Sometime earlier, Jesus asked his disciples one final question in Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? And they replied, while some say that you're Elijah, others say you're John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded by saying to him, I tell you, you are Peter And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Judas and Peter, both disciples of Jesus, both caught up in the vortex of Satan's storms. So why did Peter survive while Judas was washed away? Because Peter had built his faith upon the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ and who he was. And Judas had not. Judas ended his life while Peter went on to become the evangelist that sparked the, the entire church upon which we stand today, the rock. And so today, let me conclude with this. It is inevitable that storms will come. They come to everyone in different ways, and I believe storms are only increasing upon our civilization as a whole. Storms will come. It's not a matter of if, but when. So the second thing is this. What will you do when the storm hits? When the bottom falls out? Will you and your house be standing? If you are on shifting sand, then it is imperative that you move your foundation from that shifting sand to the solid rock. So remember the three steps. They're they're not rocket science, but they're oh so important that we follow through on each one of them. Number one, make certain you are building upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Step two, dig deep into the word of God. Don't just give it lip service. Don't just get a taste of it on the tip of your tongue. Dig deep into the word. Hearing it here on Sunday morning is not enough. 
You've got to be getting into the word for yourself and allowing God's word to take a hold of your life. And step three, getting into that word, we must not only hear it, but we must heed it. We must follow through in obedience. And according to God's word, when we do this, we are building a foundation that will stand to the very end. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is a firm anchor for our souls. That even when Satan wants to throw everything that hell's fury has against us, that upon you the gates of hell shall not prevail. And that even though Peter had everything that a man's soul could endure thrown at him, just as Judas did, the difference was he knew who you were. And he had laid everything upon that, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you are the anchor for our souls. And upon you, even though we may be shaken, we will never be blown away because you hold us firm. And so, Father, I pray for each life here today that first personally we would make sure that we are building on you, that we are digging deep into you and your word And that we are doing everything in our power and in a good conscience to make effort to actually obey what you have taught. And then, Lord, I pray that having done so, that we would be doing the same in our families, with our children, with people we know, and in this church. For we know, Lord, that when the tests come, when the storms roll, it is this that will hold us firm. And so we pray, Lord, that your will would be accomplished to this end. In Jesus' name, amen.